This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing well on this uh friday today uh, time goes fast, huh? Uh, I wanted to try to get this out. I wanted to do this episode. Um, I wanted to actually do it sooner, but it's just been a little crazy between work and other stuff going on. Just really haven't had the time. Um, so I had some time today. I wanted to uh, get it get it out there. This is the episode on uh, Frank Pesqua the third, who was an informant. He was a lying informant working on the federal level. And he testified, um, I'm sorry, he didn't testify in the case. What he did was he testified before the grand jury to get um, people indicted. He was involved in the case of Stephen Crea, Christopher Londonio, Terrence Caldwell, and Matthew Madonna. So what happened with this informant, in my opinion, he was actually more more dangerous being a liar um, working at the grand jury level than the actual trial uh they wound up not calling him for a trial because all of his lies were coming to surface and they knew they uh it'd be a problem so they didn't call him for trial however which is uh as related to this case is a huge appeal issue uh which will come down the road it'll come into play once the three judges who handle the appeal review it but a, a huge issue with this guy is he was part of the grand jury. So this guy was responsible, part of being responsible for the indictment, having the individuals charged, or based on his lies, which came to fruition after the fact. Um, various things he said, a lot of conflicting stories. The guy's just a, um, a junkie, lying piece of garbage, and I'm going to show how much of a piece of garbage he really is. And again, just to reiterate, when I use the word junkie, in my opinion, there's always two different types of, of people where it comes to drugs. You have a drug addict and you have a junkie. A junkie is really, for me anyway, personally, it's more defined by their behavior, the things they do when they start getting degenerate, when they do terrible things to their family, when they're robbing family, lying to people. It's more of a behavioral aspect. A drug addict to me is somebody who's addicted, they have a problem. Uh, and they're, they're, they're not a degenerate like a junkie. I, I just distinguish the two. So when I use the term junkie, that's when I, what I think of. So I just wanted to make that clear because um, I'm just not the type. I don't judge people for having uh, uh, addiction problems. You know, it's unfortunate and I feel bad for the family going through it and whatnot. But when I talk about a junkie, I, I rarely have any sympathy because they're selfish people. Uh, they do degenerate things. Uh, a lot of they don't take care of their family a lot of the time they're always causing problems for their family but family basically always got to deal with their nonsense 
they can't get their life under control. So it's everybody else's problem. You know, they're very selfish individuals. So in this episode, I just want to go into how, once again, these lying informants, when they, when they talk to the grand jury, when they talk to the regular jury, when they talk to the handlers, the judge, whatever, they always want to stress how they're changed and they want to change their life and they want to spend time with their family and they want to be good people. But, you know, it all sounds great. But as we see time and time again, that's not the reality. As time goes by, they prove who they truly are. They prove what they're really about. And they, they show that no matter what, they are who they are. And their true colors are always going to come out. They're going to keep doing what they've always been doing. They're going to keep being the degenerates that they have been. And here's a prime example of that. Here you have a, um, a federal level informant. And, you know, the informant is supposed to be uh, building a new life, right? That's their always claim to fame when they're on the stand. Oh, I just want the chance to build a new life and start over and do things right. Okay. Now into this lying piece of garbage. After his performance on the on the grand jury and his he tried doing the, uh, the now common YouTube fame tour that all these lying informants are doing. They go on all different podcasts. So he tried doing the same thing. He went on Vlad. He went on the John Alito, Aleto, A-Light, whatever his name is. He went on that guy's show, and they, they did a podcast. And that, that was some podcast. Let me tell you, it was three guys talking how tough they were and how crazy they are. <laughs> three informants, mind you, right? So, you know, on these podcasts, if you listen especially to Vlad one, this Frank Pesqua the third. He's talking about how um, he would never commit another crime because he, it's all about his family now and he doesn't have to do things. You know, he always acted like he did things for organized crime. Meanwhile, I'm going to show you a few of the things that he tried saying were organized crime related. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with his junky behavior. But he tried making it sound more interesting by uh, lying that it had something to do with organized crime. No, it was just junky behavior. Um... So this informant now, he's out, and what does he do? He gets arrested again. So I can't bring up the whole thing, but I'm going to bring up a portion because there's some sensitive information. But this is, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> this is where he was arrested. He was arrested in uh, Staten Island. So it's a state-level case, and it's the people of the state of New York uh, versus um, Frank Pesqua. So I'm going to read a little bit of this, but I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Like I said, it has, um, it has some sensitive information, so I don't want that really. I don't want to have to worry about blocking that out and whatnot. So I'm just going to move some things around and so I can read it. Just give me one second. <coughs> okay, so... All right, so this is the complaint. It gives a little bit of details. Um, and this one, uh, this happened, uh, I'm going to read a little bit from the uh, complaint. On April 12th, 2022, at approximately 9.44 p.m., inside of, and it gives the, uh, the address of where the incident took place, the defendant committed the offenses of, and then it lists the offenses, and he was charged with aggravated harassment in the second degree, and harassment in the second degree. And then um, there's more charges, 
it, it went on. It seems like the initial, uh, those two charges, the aggravated harassment in the, in the second degree and the harassment in the second degree, that happened at 9.44 p.m. inside the home. So I'm going to read the synopsis of that. Um, it explains that in that the defendant did with intent to harass another person, the action causes a communication to be initiated anonymously or otherwise by telephone, by computer, or any other electronic means, or by mail, or by transmitting or delivering any other form of communication, a threat to cause physical harm to, hey, you know something, that's pretty, you hear that? A threat to cause physical harm or unlawful harm to the property of such person, member, or such person, family. So here it is a threat, right? Online it says, through mail. That's pretty funny. We know a few informants, right, who've been making a lot of threats online. So I guess that's aggravated harassment and harassment in the second degree. That's interesting. Got a lot of informants making uh, threats online. Huh. Very interesting how these guys. So now you got this guy. Let me get back to this guy. So you got this guy. He's, uh... He's making threats, and he's making threats to his family, and we're going to go into that. Um, certain things are blocked out, so let me read around this. This is the offenses were committed under the following circumstances. So the office was basically notified by, and they have it blanked out. Um, so it's either, unfortunately, I believe the... the um, the mother of his child and his child that this Im impacts. It affects his son and the mother of, of his son. I, I don't know if he's married to her or not, but... Uh, on the above-mentioned date and time location, the defendant did send, inf uh, did send electronic messages. So the defendant sent... I, I'm, I'm hesitating because it, it listed somebody's name. I'm trying to avoid reading that. The defendant did send information to the, to the affected party, an electronic message on a cell phone, and stated to uh, this person, which is his son, in the sum, and I believe his son's uh, like a teenager, so this is a grown man being tough with his son, okay? So he sent and stated to the son in some and substance, and now it's a quote. Anytime you're feeling froggy, like you want to take a shot at me, just let me know, because I'll let you punch me a good three, four times before I backhand you into the wall, into next week. I'll never close my hand and hit my son, but you bet when I slap you, you'll feel like you got punched. You're nothing to me. You'll never be anything to me, and it's not for, and if, and it's not for the way you're treating me, it's your turning, says somebody's name, on me. Blank had nothing to do with this, and you're lying to him. Your mother had a drug problem since we were 16 years old. And uh, so he sent that message to his son. Re real tough guy, piece of garbage, being tough with his son. And uh, I guess the son realizes he's a piece of garbage. That's why he said... Um, it's not the way you're treating me. I guess his son is realizing, unfortunately, what kind of father he has. And that's the funny thing with these guys. They're always so concerned. I know with me, they look to bring up my dad. And with Angel, they look to bring up their dad. They're always worried about, like, our family. They should worry about their own conduct and where they come from. So many of these guys, look, look at this guy. He calls himself a father. Treating your son like that, you're a garbage pail. You're a garbage, tough with women and kids. Complete garbage pail. 
but they, they, they want to always worry about my heritage or Angel's heritage and look to analyze that. You got that one podcaster, he's always bringing up Angel lately. The guy don't even have a father. His father left him. And he's on his high horse talking about what's a good father. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier, about the whole junkie thing. But let me not get into that and how junkies act. But All right, I'm going off course a little bit. All right. Um, the second part of the complaint, it happened, it looked like it happened at 3 a.m. in the morning. So I guess you sent the text and then... Uh, he committed another offense, and, and what's odd with this one, it's at another location. So I'm thinking, I don't know if he went to, uh, first it was at maybe, I don't know. I, I don't want to guess, but it's two different locations. It's two different locations, and it's impacting his son again, and I guess the mother of his child. And this he was charged with criminal obstruction of breathing or blood circulation, uh, assault in the third degree and harassment in the second degree. And I'm going to read again the excerpt from that. And basically the office was informed by, um, I believe it's either the son or the mother of his child, that on the above-mentioned date and time and location, the defendant, who is Frank Pesquale III, with the intent to impede the normal breathing or circulation of the blood, the defendant did impede the normal breathing or circulation of the blood that the defendant grabbed and squeezed and for, uh, grabbed and squeezed his son's neck while pushing him down into a motor vehicle. So he's choking his son out, thereby causing this person to suffer physical injuries, including but not limited to substantial pain and bruising to the person's neck in addition to causing the person to experience annoyance and alarm. So this, uh, this poor kid was choked out by his dad, real tough guy, move, you know, choked out by his father. And that's where the charges uh, uh, stemmed from. So it looks like they happened on April 12th, and then he was arrested, I believe, on April 20th or 21st, he appeared. So here you have the example of again, a lying informant, go listen to this guy on Vlad TV, listen to this whole shtick he gives the audience about wanting to be with his family and raise his family and be a good dad, nah, just a typical lying junkie, back to his old ways, and it's very unfortunate that his son and his uh, mother of his kid have to even deal with this. Again, it's like I was saying with these junkies, they impact everybody else. They're selfish people. Their problems become everybody's problems because they, they're just, they're, they're little children. They're spoiled little children who need their drugs and they don't care. They don't care who gets hurt. They don't care what family members they hurt. They don't care who they lie about. They just want their drugs. And they're just low lives when they act that way, complete low lives. Uh, the other thing I want, I got is I got the uh, minutes from the actual appearance. Give me one second to line that up. And here we have the minutes of the appearance uh, when he went in court. And I want to read a few things from the minutes because it's uh, you're going to find it you're going to find it interesting, and and I think it'll give more detail on uh, what took place. I'm just going through this, and um, 
the beginning of it is basically the uh, the judge explaining to Pasqua that he's being arraigned and they're going to discuss his charges and they had an issue with the attorney. It seems like he has a court-appointed attorney, but his regular attorney didn't show up. So this is uh, neither here nor there for right now. I find this part funny. The court tells him... Uh, Mr. Pasqua, you're under oath now. It is important for you to understand that if you knowingly make a false statement during these proceedings, you could be subject to prosecution for perjury or for making a false statement to the court, and you could face a punishment of up to five years in prison and $250,000 fine if you're convicted of these offenses. Well, these guys just keep making false statements and keep perjuring in front of the grand jury, in front of the trial, in front of anything, but yet none of these things happen. So, I don't know. I don't know how accurate that is <laughs> that statement because time and again we keep showing how they keep perjuring themselves but i don't know it sounds good i guess one of those things that sounds good and plays out in textbook but not in reality right i found this part just amusing because the court just asked him for his name and uh he like hesitated it looks like state your first name and he must uh, it was an inaudible response he must have been confused, like, does he use his Witsec name or does he use his, you know, his, his birth name? So I find that amusing. You don't even know what name to use. Yeah, you see over here it says, <laughs> I didn't know which one to use. You don't even know, does he use his informant, his new identity name? Same person, new identity. Same piece of garbage, but new identity. Does he use that name or his birth name? And they're always on something. You ever notice they're always on something? Whether it isn't the drugs, then they make excuse that they're on other drugs to counteract the drugs. The, the court asks, you haven't taken anything in the last 24 hours. And he goes, 24 hours? No, not 24 hours, but I did take my methadone dose today. Always on something. They always need something to get through life. Get your act together. Stop being so weak-minded. Get your act together. Deal with life. You don't need all these chemicals. Deal with life and do what you got to do. These weak-minded people. This section just goes into uh, a little of what took place, so I'll read that. Um, she's asking him if he's in clear mind. He says yes. Uh, then um, they're asking for the date and time. His attorney says the marshals picked up Mr. Pasqua sometime late yesterday. So the marshals picked him up because, you know, he's a federal informant. So they picked him up. Uh, all right, Mr. Pasqua, you have been arrested based on a petition asserting that you have violated uh, the conditions of your supervised release. That petition is dated that petition is dated April 20th, 2022, which was yesterday, and he specifically and specifically the petition charges three violations. And then she goes into the violations that I uh, spoke about in the complaint. This clarifies, I guess, that address uh, issue that I was talking about earlier that I didn't understand. The lawyer uh, says, Your Honor, although the specification says on Staten Island, apparently the third specification was actually in Brooklyn. Uh, the court says, okay, the correction is noted. Um, I'm reading quite literally from the specification itself, so to the extent that's a mistake in the specification that can be corrected in the approximate time, in the appropriate time is necessary. So I guess that was some kind of error on the report that they're making a notation of. Now, this was just uh, the hearing for th this judge, but she isn't, I don't believe this judge is the sitting judge. They talk about how he has to go 
um, right now is just being arraigned, and then he'd have to go, looks like, Judge Roman. He has to go see Judge Roman, uh, which if you read the book Guilt for the Guiltless, you'll find that ironic with Judge Roman. I'm not going to get into that now, but you'll find that ironic. Um, and it looks like he actually had a meet May 13th, which is today. So we'll probably do a follow-up to this to find out what took place today, do the same thing, get the minutes, and uh, we'll go from there. I'll read a little bit of this uh, just uh, for the audience to have further information. This is where they're talking about bail. That's usually what happens with the arraignment. You request bail or and whatnot. So you have the lawyer saying... Um, She's at, the court's asking uh, the lawyer, what is the government's position? And the lawyer says the government seeks detention, Your Honor. Or, I'm sorry, not his lawyer. I meant the U.S. attorney. This is the prosecution. Uh, the, the court asks the prosecution what their position is, and they say the government seeks detention. The court, okay. And Mr. Burke, who's Pasqua's attorney in this appearance, what is the what is Mr. Pasqua's position at this time? Your Honor, at this time, he'll consent to detention to speak with his counsel, Mr. Moskowitz. However, we are asking that the court order that he be detained in MDC. As he indicated earlier, he's on methadone, and he also has <laughs> congestive heart failure. These guys are always falling apart, but they're doing all kinds of drugs, but they're always falling apart. They always got heart issues. They keep doing drugs. Uh, congestive heart failure. Stop, stop. I guess the court jumped in. Mr. Pasqua, let Mr. Burke speak for you. So I guess I guess Pasqua was trying to jump in and the, and the judge shut him down. If there's something you need to discuss with him after he's made his presentation, you could tell him that. And then if there's more that needs to be communicated, it could be communicated, but let Mr. Burke finish, please. Then the lawyer goes on. And he's also on Xanax. Oh, more drugs as well, which is prescribed. I fear, uh, I guess he needs Xanax because he gets nervous, right? You got to calm your nerves. You need something to calm your nerves. Oh, these weak-minded guys. Unbelievable. I fear that he'll have withdrawal and end up in the hospital tonight, most certainly if he doesn't go to a place where they do administer methadone. And from what he tells me, MDC does. Yeah, he knows where to get all the drugs, this guy. Rikers definitely does, but Valhalla does not. Valhalla is right in uh, Westchester County. It's actually a county jail, but um, the feds rent space from them, so they could use they could use the facility as well. Um, but Rikers is likely not an option. But MDC certainly would be something that the court can consider ordering, and that he be placed there so that he can get the appropriate treatment he needs and not end up in the hospital for withdrawal and potential issues with his heart. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, but you know, it's funny. They make all these accommodations for these informants. Oh, it's hard drugs. He's a drug addict. He's going to go through a draw. You got to see the amount of defendants, old men, who would ask for things, that they need certain health. They need to see a doctor. They have problems with their mouth, with their teeth, and everything. You know what the judge always says? Oh, take it up with the BOP. But when it's an informant, they go right to the judge. The judge tries to fix it and make accommodations. It's really amazing. All I'm saying is keep everything across the board equal. That's all I'm saying. Don't favor one or the other. Just keep it across the board equal. It's just amazing how they do that. And they're just going on and on about that. They're trying to uh, 
the um, district attorney saying, Your Honor, I could say offhand that Rikers would not be an option because as far as I know, the Marshal Service does not have a contract with Rikers Island. Oh, you see that? I, I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware of that. So the Marshals don't have a contract with Rikers Island, so they can't even bring them there. Uh, that's what I was saying earlier about the feds, they're able to rent, um, they have a contract with Valhalla. So I guess that's how they're able to do that. So I guess he's asking basically to go to MDC because he needs his methadone and Xanax and whatever else to get him through the day with his weak, feeble mind. Um, and of course, you know, the court, oh, it's a very valid and understandable request to the greatest extent possible. And, and forgive me if I sound biased on this, but I think you realize why I would be biased. But on another note of being biased, I, I've read so many compassionate releases and so many issues of health and who had diabetes and, and who needs their heart checked with just regular defendants and inmates. And you got to see it's a whole different tone in the court. It's basically, uh, basically the tone uh, the court normally takes is not my problem, take it up with the facility. It's just amazing when you see how they're trying to cater to this informant who not only is a lying informant, not only is a drug addict, a junkie, not only beats his kid, beats his wife, threatens him, but look at the extent they're going. That, that all means nothing, I guess. That all means nothing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay, um, I want to go on. Let me go down a little bit. Uh, this section... I guess uh, the judge jumps in. He says, well, okay. Uh, yeah, well, okay. I mean, I understand the application, Mr. Burke, and I'm not saying that it's not sensible in certain respects, but of course I have no ability to conduct. And then I guess, I guess Pasqua tried to interrupt and hold on, Mr. Pasqua, just one second. I have no ability to conduct a mental, a medical evaluation of Mr. Pasqua. I'm not questioning the bona fide, <clears throat> bona fides of what you're saying, Mr. Burke. I'm not sure. I'm not sure from a procedural standpoint whether Mr. Pasqua would need to go through some sort of intake at Westchester County Jail in the first instance before being transferred. I don't know about a procedure for sending him directly from here to Westchester County Jail. So I guess they're trying to get this judge to, to figure all this out at the hearing to get this guy placed because he needs his drugs, he needs his methadone, and it seems like the judge is getting a little annoyed, like he can't really um, diagnose this person and go into that. So they spent a lot of time about this, about where they're going to detain him, whether Valhalla, MDC. And then this, uh, this is his attorney trying to advocate to get him moved. He needs help. He says, no, it's just that, that my representation, my representations, yeah, are not solely, I don't, I don't know why, I'm going to need glasses. Let me tell you, I'm getting old. I'm starting to see things a little blurry. I always had great vision. I don't know what the hell's happening, but anyway. It's just that the representations are not solely without cooperation in the supervision adjustments in the report. It identifies that he spent 30 days recently in December of 2020, 2021 where he was hospitalized and lost some mobility. And at times it says he required the use of a walker and a wheelchair. This guy's 43 years old. I'm 44. How are you losing mobility and needing a walker? Keep, keep doing the drugs. Keep, do, keep shooting that into your arm. Keep doing the drugs. Uh, all right, let me stop with my commentary because I could go really wild here. So let me chill out. It's getting harder and harder to try to be uh, a certain way on here. I got to be honest. When you see the way these individuals are acting, but but it's just you really want to you really want to call them for what they are. But 
I try to stay the course, and I'm going to continue doing that. I want to read this part as well. Um, here, uh, Pasqua is just asking, basically, if he has an option for bail, and the court's telling him, you know, take that up with your uh, attorney, because the, his attorney was saying that uh, he would agree with the uh, detention. So I guess there's a little bit of conflict. So I want to read a little bit of that. Uh, his attorney, Mr. Burke, says, Your Honor, as far as I did previously, and I'm previously standing in for counsel, who is far more familiar with Mr. Pasqua. So this attorney is just a substitute for his regular attorney. But at this point, I guess I'm best suited to withdraw the previous consent to detention. So Pasqua must have been bothering him like he can't, you know, he don't want to go back to jail and he wants bail. So now he's changing his argument. I'm best suited to withdraw the previous consent to detention and make the bail application that he be permitted to be released on bail with certain conditions so that he can take his medication. Have an electronic monitoring. He's told me he, that he can return to a girlfriend that he was residing with, not to the home where the domestic violence incidents, the place where he was arrested yesterday, not the place where the incidents took place involving his spouse and his son. So he is married. So this guy's married, and he's shacking up with his girlfriend. Real winner. And he's choking his son out and threatening his wife and son. Unbelievable. So he's married, and he's... <laughs> unbelievable. Jesus. So actually, the son's incident was in Brooklyn, but he would return too. And it says, counsel conferred with defendant. I don't want to bring up this other part because it has somebody's name in it. Uh, he just goes on to say the location of where the arrest was. He would consent to electronic monitoring, GPS. So he's trying to convince him to give him the, the ankle bracelet and put him on uh, house arrest during his detention rather than having to go back to uh, a facility. Uh, I just wanted to put in the, uh, this is the U.S. Attorney's objection to bail. Your Honor, we would oppose any form of bail here. The statute is clear. In the supervised release setting, the burden is on the defendant to prove by clear and convincing evidence both that he is not a flight risk and that he is not a danger to the community. He has failed to do any of those other than simply promise that. This time, he is going to be good. I think even this attorney is getting annoyed with this guy. As Your Honor knows from having reviewed the PSR, Mr. Pasqua is a very long, very long time criminal who's engaged not only in drug dealing, but serious acts of violence, including convictions for convictions for things like witness tampering, which go to the heart of the danger to the community. Now, if you remember, um, I didn't have the time, but it would be good if I could, you know, uh, play the portion of him on Vlad. Although I think Vlad like copyright strikes, so I probably won't be able to do it. But anyway, on Vlad, on all his interviews. He was acting like he was doing this witness tampering, if you remember. He acted like it had something to do with organized crime, like he had to go on behalf of the family. Uh, La familia, let me go intimidate a witness, you know. That's what he was acting like, this big secret thing where he had to go intimidate the witness for the organized crime guys. That was his whole spiel, if you remember, on the Aletto show and on the uh, uh, Vlad TV, same thing, right? But this is really, let's see exactly what he really did. In 2006, for example, he was convicted of witness tampering in connection with a forcible rape, okay? Degenerate, 
forcible rape that he committed and then tampered with the witness afterwards in order to compel her to absent herself from testifying at such proceeding by means of instilling in the individual a fear that the defendant will cause physical injury to her or another person. And that is at paragraph 100. Okay? So... Here's a wake-up call, people, for these lying informants. You see how they lie through their teeth? Through their teeth. On his interviews, he said he was charged with witness tampering, okay? And he tried making it and insinuating that he was doing it on behalf of some kind of crime family, and he had to go intimidate a witness. No, 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 no. Bullshit. And I try not to curse, but bullshit. You're a degenerate. You were trying uh, to forcibly rape somebody. And then you did witness tampering and threaten this person, this poor woman, who had to deal with you even touching her. Then you threaten this person. So again, look how they twist things. He tried to make himself like this big organized crime guy, intimidating witnesses, making sure people don't testify. It had nothing to do with organized crime. This is a degenerate who tried to forcibly rape somebody, and then he intimidated that person. That's it. So I just wanted to highlight this. And this gets me aggravated because it just goes to show these are the tales they tell. So this, these are the tales this piece of garbage was probably telling the grand jury. And they won't let you see the grand jury minutes. I've done episode on that on the federal level. You can't look at what he said, but you mark my words. The same way he tried acting like on all these interviews that this degenerate stuff he's done on his own due to his own accord and due to his own degenerate actions where he tried saying he did it for some kind of organized crime family, I'll bet dollars to donuts he did the same spiel on the grand jury, trying to make it that all his degenerate acts had something to do with some somebody else. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Afterwards, he then violated an order of protection in 2011. He grabbed his wife's arm and cut her with a bottle that he had just broken. Again, always with the women and children. Cowards. They talk so tough, but they're always with women and children. Cowards. He also got into a car without permission and refused to leave. So this guy broke a bottle and cut his wife's arm with it. <laughs> Unbelievable. And this is the guy who was part of a grand jury to get four people indicted. Imagine this. This was the guy testifying to the grand jury and they believed him. This is who they believed. Why? Because you can't bring up this stuff. You can't talk about this stuff, right? You can't tell this stuff about this supposed informant and let the people know what they're really about. This is what they're really about, folks. That's what I'm doing here, showing you their true persona, showing you what really goes on, not the BS, not what plays out in the courtroom that you see this well-dressed person, humble, trying to speak. That's all an act. This is their real persona. This is it. All the threats, all that. How many threats have we've all seen, everybody in certain genre? How many threats have you seen from these lying informants now that they're currently doing on the internet? That's their true personality. <clears throat> so, uh, in this case right now, it is, it is my understanding that as of today, orders of protection have been entered against Mr. Pasqua, protecting both his wife and his son. So his wife and his son had to get an order protection against this animal piece of garbage it's a little bit odd to say well he's been perfectly compliant on supervision he hasn't been perfectly compliant 
he has engaged in domestic violence. This was a concern so serious that, and I wasn't there, but I understand from Mr. Lombardo that at Mr. Pesqua's sentencing, Judge Roman specifically discussed the concept of domestic violence and warned Mr. Pesqua not to engage in it again. So you see that the judge, when he took his uh, deal for cooperating, the judge who was presiding told him, warned him, do not engage in domestic violence again. What does he do? He engages in it again. Low lives can't help being low lives, folks. Remember that. Mr. Pesqua has shown himself to be a non-compliant in the past. He was out on bail in his underlying case where he was a cooperator. And he, I spoke about this, but they're bringing it up uh, in one of my episodes on Pesqua, but I just want to read it. Where he was a cooperator and he started violating the conditions of bail. And after a lengthy hearing, bail was revoked and he was put back in. Mr. Pesquale was a cooperator below who exhibited, who exhibited concern that he would be retaliated against. <clears throat> the FBI basically paid for him to live further away from where he lived and ended up providing him or arranging for him to receive a new name, a new identity, which is why he was a little bit confused about what name he should give your honor. And in fact, gave him, gave him is a... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a typo or what, but gave him as a forty-four thousand dollar relocation payout to allow him to ro relocate. So the government gives this guy forty-four grand to relocate. What did Mr. Pesqua do? He went out and he either spent the money or he says gave it to his family and moved right back to the neighborhood in Staten Island where he was from that he claimed that he was so afraid to return to because he was pretty sure that he was going to get killed if he went back there. You see what I mean, folks? It's all BS. They BS the government, the jury, all this scared. He took 44000 from the government they, to, to relocate him. He didn't use it to relocate. What did he do? He probably, he probably blew it on drugs, pocketed it, and he just moved right back in the neighborhood that he was claiming he was so scared to be in. You got to see the craziness in this, folks. You got to see how every word out of these lying informants' mouths are just lie on top of lie. What this shows is that Mr. Pesqua does, does, doesn't follow the rules, doesn't even act to protect himself or simply, or simply manipulates the system. He has done this in order to get money out of the FBI. He's done it in order to get out of jail over and over again. This U.S. attorney has him clocked, I'll tell you that much. Uh, definitely has this guy clocked. And right now, even in the report, the probation office thinks he is likely going to have to enter the shelter system when he gets out. He has just said that there's an ex-girlfriend who we can live with. She's not here. The probation office certainly has not had a chance to interview her, look at her house, see if there could even set up electronic monitoring, much less make sure it would be safe. Mr. Pesqua has, by his actions, over and over, showed an utter non-compliance with the court orders and court supervision. And in light of that, the simple promises that he makes, don't worry, this time I'm going to finally be good, are not enough to overcome or not enough to meet his high burden. So this uh, U.S. attorney has him pegged, that's for sure. That's for sure. Th this part's funny, like he's doing the pity party. The court, Mr. Pesqua, Mr. Pesqua, Mr. Pesqua, please, the defendant. You said if I made a comment that it might end up biting me in the end, so I want to... The court, Mr. Pesqua, please stop talking. Don't interrupt Mr. Maiman. Mr. Burke is going to have an opportunity to respond on your behalf. But it's certainly not helpful to your application 
two in the middle, and then he cuts the judge off. I'm the most evil person on the planet. He's <laughs> doing the sob story, like playing the modern, like, woe is me, I'm so evil. Yeah, you're a piece of garbage, bud. You're a piece of garbage. Look in that mirror, because all you're going to see is garbage. A stack full of garbage. And then the judge says, do you think this colloquy is helpful, Mr. Pesqua? <laughs> Basically, I guess the judge is telling him, just shut up. It's not You're not helping your cause. And then you can see the judge is getting irritated. Mr. Maiman is making an argument. Mr. Burke will have an opportunity to respond to that argument. That's how we... And the defendant again tries to in interrupt the uh, judge. I, excuse me, excuse me, that's how we proceed in this court, and really any court. So you just have to wait. If there are any points that you want Mr. Burke to raise on your behalf, and then again he jumps in again. Yes, I do. Then you can talk to him about it and raise them. But it's not appropriate to just shout them out in the middle of the proceeding when somebody else is talking. And then he jumps, I'm trying. That's just not... The way we do it here. And then he jumps in, sorry I disrespected your court, I'm sorry. Man-child. Even in court, like the man-child don't know how to conduct themselves, like a little baby. Like a little baby. Doesn't even know how to conduct themselves in the court. Oh, and here I guess he's getting upset. Uh, the court, Mr. Main, would you like to? And then the defendant jumps in again. It's emotional. <laughs> yeah, was it emotional? What about when you grabbed your son around his neck? You don't think that was emotional for him? Always selfish. People, listen, this is how these lying informants are. They're very selfish people. It's always about them. It's always about them. It's not about their family. It's not about the damage they do to their family, their friends. It's always about them. How they were impacted. How they were wronged. It's always about them. And then the judge breaks it down to him, like how to act like a man in a courtroom. The judge says, I understand, but defendants in this courtroom are emotional all the time. It's an emotional time. I understand, but defendants in this courtroom are emotional all the time. It's an emotional time. That's weird that that was uh, said twice. Huh, anyway. I understand and appreciate that, but you still can't just exclaim in the middle of the proceedings, whenever you think it's appropriate, that's not how it works. And the prosecution is just going on about um, his past. And he says a lot of his crimes were committed in prison where, among other things, he pled guilty to selling drugs. Uh, we remember that. I did that story where he was caught selling drugs while he was working with the government. Um, and then they go into his whole BS story where attacked other prisoners while inside, often on behalf of La Cosa Nostra. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's the same way that he uh, intimidated a witness on behalf, on behalf of La Cosa Nostra, right? But meanwhile, when you find out what it really is, the guy tried forcibly raping a girl and then intimidated her not to testify. You see how he paints her? Everything is La Cosa Nostra. Everything, everything, right? But then when you look at the facts, it has nothing to do with it. It's just him being a degenerate. That's all it is. In this part, I wanted to read uh, his attorneys trying to justify um, the remark about him spending that $44,000 that the government, the prosecution basically said he just blew it and he didn't use it to relocate. This is his attorney saying, so you're on a state that he wasn't, that he just took this money and somehow blew it is just an inaccurate statement. When the agents were there, when they actually handed it over to the wife for those purposes, the wife was asked to join him in WITSEC and refused. And that's what then led to him no longer being eligible for WITSEC because they figured that because of 
his kids and his wife that he would return back and he had returned back to Staten Island. So they took the 44,000 anyway. It doesn't explain what they did with the 44,000. They gave it to him to re relocate. He didn't use it to relocate. So that doesn't make any sense. He used it for something else. So in essence, he was just handed 44 grand for nothing. Just handed 44 grand. Our tax dollars just handed him $44,000. And what did it allow him to do? It allowed him to go back and choke out his innocent son and threaten his wife. That's what our tax dollars allowed him to do. People really need to think about that. He did. He was living at the girlfriend's house where he was arrested. So he's married and he's at the girlfriend's house. The agents know the location because that's where he was picked up in Staten Island. He wasn't at the marital home. There is an order of protection in place for the wife and son. So as far as if there is in fact any further contact, he will be rearrested and charged with felonies for violating the orders of protection, which he'll comply with. So there's two things here. One, the federal government's ability or inability to properly provide medical treatment that he'll be able to get if he is released and on a GPS device. Uh, this is them, this is his, I don't even care about this. This is his, uh, his attorney advocating to release him on bail. And they always try to bring up the people he put away to justify or to give him leniency. You know, they always try to throw that in there. Um, it says it clearly was. He got a dramatically reduced sentence as a result of it, as a result of his cooperation and assisting, putting a lot of people behind bars for the government. The court, well, okay, I mean, let's not belabor the, that point too much because the obvious response to that is that the benefit that Mr. Pasquale received from that was a dramatically reduced sentence, which included a term of supervised release, which he allegedly been violated, which has allegedly been violated, which gets us back to the standard that we have here. So uh, basically, uh, the uh, attorney was trying to go into this whole thing about how he cooperated and it's been hard for him. And the judge is basically saying, yeah, well, he cooperated, but he got a, a, uh, a huge benefit for it. So that's that point. It's just, this is really just arguing back and forth about him. Um, his attorney is arguing to get him bail. He's advocating for his release. He's given options. And the prosecution doesn't want to give bail. So that's what this is, this going back and forth. I want to see if there's anything else more relevant that I want to touch on. Uh, the judge just ruled. I want to read that. Uh, so for the reasons in particular, I find that Mr. Pasqua has not met his burden to show by clear and convincing evidence that he would not pose a danger to the community or to any other person if released. Uh, yeah, you have to meet the two standards, uh, not a dangerous community, not a risk of flight. So the judge is going over both those points and basically concludes, uh, it's to include that detention is appropriate here. So they held him. He didn't, uh, he didn't get bailed. They held him in custody. The rest is really just working out his next court date. And as I said, it looked like it's today, May 13th. Unless it was postponed, I'd have to, uh, I got to pull that up after. And I'll, I'll report on those results. So he's, they held him on detention pending today's hearing. And then we'll see um, how that plays out. So I really wanted to go into this. I thought it was an important episode. Uh, again, it all goes to the point of, of the purpose here educating jurors, enlightening jurors, showing them what really goes on, having them understand all the pieces of the puzzle so then they can render a, a more reasonable verdict. 
Um, too much is hidden, too much jurors aren't aware of. Unfortunately, these informants, a lot of these informants are just lying, just lying degenerates to get out of their own crimes. And it's a shame that the government has made that so possible that there isn't some kind of a more thorough vetting and, uh, you know, I don't know, it's, uh, listen, we all know the reasoning. If there's a target they want, they don't care who they have to use to get it. They don't care who's lying. They just want that target, and that's the bottom line. So that's it for today's episode. I just wanted to uh, bring everybody up to speed on that. And as always, as things develop, I'll put out another episode. I got some good stuff coming. Time's just a little bit of an issue, but I'll continue to get them out when I can. Um, I may do an episode. Um, well, we'll see when I do that. But that's it for today. I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. Till next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justice tech pros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off